real life superpowers. I like founders who are trying to solve a problem that they they have uh, personally, or it can be in their family, right? They, they they they're facing some kind of a challenge. They don't find the solution. They don't find the product that's solving this, and they say, "Okay, I'm going." to find a way to make this problem go away for myself. What usually happens later is as soon as they do that and find a solution, they find out that there is a product market fit. They're not the only ones with this kind of a problem. Hey everyone, in this episode we speak with Liron Rose, also known as the investor in Israeli unicorns. He's a serial entrepreneur and a venture capital investor with a few unicorns under his belt. His portfolio includes companies such as SimilarWeb, Kenshu, Dynamic Yield, Fiverr, and many more. He's the co-founder of After Download, a company he grew from 0 to 30 million in revenue in three years. In 2013, he sold it to IronSource for 28 million. He's the founder and CEO of Techstars Israel, the local branch of the prestigious global fintech accelerator. He does business consulting for global companies helping startups that are raising capital. Real life. Superpowers. So, uh, Liron, welcome to Real Life Superpowers. Hi, guys. Nice to uh, meet you guys online and uh, very happy to be uh, invited to your podcast. Awesome. So, what are you up to these days? So, uh, these days, I'm looking for specific, uh, specific startups in specific fields that can become the, 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 the new unicorns of the next decade, so, so to speak. So, I, I'm not looking for traditional more of the same kind of startups, but I'm looking for those startups that can, you know, produce some kind of a magical return because they seem to be a little bit on the, on the fringe side um, of things. So fringe, I'll call them fringe startups because um, they're not mainstream. But if those startups, um, you know, manifest and, and, and the, those technologies do happen, um, you know, I will see uh, exceptional returns on, on my investment. How do you decide what are the unicorns if everything right now is an opportunity? Because there may be too many uh, disruptions in the market. Yeah, I, I totally get what you're saying. Um, we're going to see interest rates staying zero for a long time. Um, so that means that you're not getting any return whatsoever on, on cash balances or on bonds. And, and that, that forces investors to take um, higher risks and go to riskier assets, um, which include stocks, real estate, uh, and private equity or, or, um, or startups, tech companies, new ventures. Yeah. So in that sense, yes, the market is, is a little bit different than uh, what it used to be because basically what happens is that the price of money or the interest rate is zero and the market is flooded by um, liquidity. Money by liquidity, exactly. So one one thing that um, uh, is somehow a way out of this, you know, and I'm I've been watching um, this um, vertical for many years, and it's booming again now. Uh, is the entire blockchain and Bitcoin industry? We see Bitcoin at the all time high, and that is some kind of an alternative to mainstream investing. 
um, we see companies such as PayPal, Square, and MicroStrategy putting hundreds of million do- millions of dollars into Bitcoin and blockchain. Uh, some of this is a hedge against um, money printing by central banks. Some of it is more of, of their having a conviction that cryptocurrency and blockchain is the future of fintech. So I guess it's a little bit of both. Do you mind um, if I challenge you on that? Sure, go ahead. Okay, so uh, this is how I see it, and I'm, I'm, I really want to, to see it in a different way. There will be different dips in Bitcoin or in cryptocurrency. So this will be a high and there will be a low. And I think it's actually done really crappy um, as an ICO concept. And everybody crapped on it by being financially uh, incentivized. And what will happen is because we're printing money and doing really stupid things with the economy, it, which is a stupid concept in, in the basis of it, it'll blow up in our face. And then because no one did any other idea, we'll say, okay, we'll go with the cryptocurrency, even though that's not thought through. And it may become new money just because we're lazy to think of anything else. But that's not the problem. The thing is that I, I'm asking this as a VC, don't you see that the opportunity is not with the companies that there are, but in the companies that are not? Meaning that once Amazon or Facebook or any of those give out their own currency, none of this is relevant, not Bitcoin, not Ether, or anything else. So isn't the opportunity just not hedging on Bitcoin, but actually Go, like helping those economies because they, that's their finishing after governance of economy, you know, that's it. They own everything and they're just waiting for the right opportunity. Well, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, I, I've seen research done by, um, you know, the most serious uh, institutions in, in the U.S., uh, including Fidelity and, and, and Deutsche Bank and J.P. Morgan and so forth. And their analysts have, have proven that having uh, some sort of allocation, single digit allocation to Bitcoin makes sense because it's zero correlation to other assets. Right. Now, I'm, I, I don't know what the future holds, but I can tell you that if more and more institutions start to believe that Bitcoin or Ethereum are good stores of value and those networks are stable and cannot be hacked Easily, and you know, Bitcoin has a history of 12 years um, of not being hacked. The more institutions go into this, and the, as, as time goes by, and we had a Bitcoin halving like earlier this year, so so less and less Bitcoins, new Bitcoins are being minted by the miners. So we have an anti-inflationary uh, asset here, uh, which you, you can store value with. Uh, it's comparable to to physical gold, but in in some senses, it's even better than than gold because um, you know you can you can send it in in a similar way to wire transfer to to bank wire transfer to another person to another company in another country, and you don't actually have to transport physical gold bullion. So so you have a store of value of an asset which uh, uh, which is anti-inflationary, and the number of bitcoins that are going to ever exist is is known. Already, so we we know how many bitcoins are in circulations, and and it cannot be more. So the, the user base is growing by by anything between thirty to forty percent per year. So the more people use it, the more people who believe in it and hold some of their portfolios in this S class, uh, we're going to see the price 
going up because there is a short supply and a higher demand. Mm-hmm. Got it. And Leon, I want to circle back uh, to your request for finding a unicorn. And then I also want to touch uh, how you reached where you are today. So first off, what do you look for? How can, how can a startup uh, at an early stage know if they're on the way to becoming a unicorn? And obviously, you know, nothing is guaranteed, but what are the indicators? So it's kind of impossible to know that, but there are a few um, common ways of analyzing the opportunity. And I think the most important factor in a startup is the team. So the team has to be exceptional. And when I say exceptional, I mean that at least one team member, and, and I don't really like startups that have only one founder. It's usually better to have two or three. And it's even better than these people know each other for a while and have not met in some kind of a meetup, you know, two weeks ago, but they've been, you know, knowing each other for, for a few years. And maybe they even have, um, you know, previous experiences uh, in working together as a team. So, you know, they're going on an expedition uh, that's going to be anywhere between seven to 10 years, and they're going to spend a lot of time together. So if they, these guys cannot stand each other after a couple of months, um, you know, we, we, the startup uh, falls apart. So, so we need people who can work with each other. How do you know if they can work with each other? You don't really know, but you, you know, you, you're trying to, to see the dynamics between the team. Uh, you try to, you know, to, see the, to look at their body language, to see if they agree with each other, if they argue too much. They don't have to be the same. Um, you don't want founders that are clones of each other. You want founders that are complementary to each other. And you want at least one of them, preferably all of them, but you know, at least one of them who, who is a huge Uh, I would call that, you know, talent or outlier. So something, someone that is exceptional at something, you know, like two, two or three standard deviations from the norm. Uh, you know, a very, you know, talented technical guy, way beyond, uh, you know, a, a very talented, gifted CTO. That can be, a, 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 you know, a, an X factor. Or someone with exceptional leadership skills or somebody with exceptional marketing or business development skills. But when I say exceptional, you know, something that's way out of the norm. You need some kind of, uh, you know, uh, an X factor to succeed. The, the chances are so slim anyway. On the team side, which is really, really important, how would you build the correct team? Meaning I understand the X factor, but if, when you're looking at it, it's usually the leader. doesn't matter if he's the developer, he has the X factor. Okay. But what would, that's obvious. The other ones, how do they support them? What are you looking for that... When you're imagining what would be their stick in their wheel, okay? So what, what do they have to be? Right. So, so, so first of all, it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, it doesn't have to be the CTO. That is the, the, the X factor. It can actually be, um, you know, the CEO who is a very charismatic um, person who can raise a lot of money because usually one of the main reasons uh, of startups failing or closing down is when they ran, run out of money. So, and, and if they're close to running out of money or, or, or if their runway is too short, then, you know, it's up to the CEO. It's, you know, CEOs in startups have, have two main responsibilities. One is hiring people, hiring the right people to the company. And the second is making sure that the company doesn't run out of money. Now, for the company not to run out of money, um, you know, if, if investors are saying no, when you're trying to, to, to raise an additional round 
and everyone is saying no. And, and you see, you know, uh, your, your cash balance going lower and lower every month. You probably need to pivot your startup and, and, and come to the market with a new pitch because investors are not believing in what you're actually saying. You know, they think the potential is not big enough and they're refusing to invest. So, so a charismatic leader is, is usually, uh, you know, that can be another X factor. Um, but t- let me turn back into technology because I think the, 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 the unicorns of the next 10 years, um, you know, can come from um, technologies that don't exist yet. So when I started my career, um, and this is to your question, I started uh, my career yeah, with startups and investing as an entrepreneur uh, when, when the internet first showed into our lives uh, about 20 years ago. So I started in, um, in uh, online marketing. Was that your when, first job or did you first work for someone? No, it was, it was a job. Um, it, was an, uh, it was an online marketing job uh, in, a, in an online gaming company about two, 20 years ago. And, you know, no one had a clue uh, about this field at all. Uh, you know, I studied um, um, management economics and then I did an MBA and I was supposed, you know, people like me were supposed to go and work uh, in banks. Uh, or a, or in a, you know in marketing or business development of some some uh, big companies and no one had a clue what this online thing is but I, I was passionate about the internet when it first started and I was lucky to be there uh, uh, as a pioneer um, so and I think this is the same it's always the same when new technologies um, uh, appear you you need to be first so if I was there as a pioneer for online marketing. Um, you know, the people who are now into just an example, you know, drones or electric vehicles, we, we are underestimating the, the, the rate of change uh, of, of certain industries. So, you know, we don't have Teslas in Israel yet. We might have them next year. But as soon as electric cars such as Tesla start to hit the roads here and, and capture more and more market share, you know, five seven, maybe 10 years from now, it's quite possible, it's quite likely that most cars on the roads here in Israel will be electric. It's, it's kind of hard to imagine that now because, you know, we see a hybrid car here and there. It's hard for us to estimate how fast things go. So, so another example is the iPhone. You know, if you look 10 years ago, we, we all had Nokia's uh, and, 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 you know, uh, generation one um, mobile phones. And, and at some point, this iPhone um, version one showed up uh, and, you know, some, some cool people had them because they were ex- um, a little bit more expensive. Yeah, other. you also couldn't bring them to Israel. Like I remember I had a flight attendant bring it in for me. Right, they were prohibited, right. And, and then, you know, each year they, they start, they, these, these smartphones captured market share on the expense of traditional mobile phones. Uh, and, 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 you know, everyone has smartphones now. Um, even little um, little children from the age of six. So, so the same you know can happen to other technologies, uh, which we um, think that are kind of far fetched now, but can become more mainstream. You know, I can give you a couple of examples. Um, quantum computers is one of them. Um, you know, I've seen I've seen VCs investing in in quantum computers. These are computers that are not fully operational yet. We, maybe Google and some universities have them, but if these things, and, and, and it's not an if, it's probably more of a when than an if, start 
uh, to become more mainstream and, and, and there's going to be, they're going to be produced on a larger scale, not a mass scale, but on a larger scale. We're going to see a revolution in computing. These things can, can um, you know, are, are probably um, orders of magnitude stronger than, than the stronger supercomputer we currently have. So, so that's an entire revolution. If that's happening, you know, the, the, um, the, the AI revolution that everyone's talking about, is going to um, to um, to speed up in such a way that we can't even imagine. So that this is one example, uh, and, and and you know we've seen other examples with um, you know medical cannabis, which used to be um, you know street uh, street drug before uh, a few few years back, but now cannabis, medical cannabis, and even recreational cannabis is totally mainstream, right? Yeah, and it's uh, and these companies are are in in uh, in the stock exchanges both in the U.S. and in Israel. We, we, we've seen, um, I, I think I've read that, or I think it was Oregon, uh, just approved um, psychedelic medicines back in the U.S. Yeah, so, there is an entire so revolution going on there. I think I've read about Peter Thiel. Um, Peter Thiel has invested $100 million uh, into a, a startup that is, is, is researching psychedelic medicine. So, so things that are, used to be drugs are now becoming mainstream uh, medical, you know, as soon as the doctors say yes, this has a medical use. Things are reclassified, and 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 then you have an entire industry such as cannabis uh, becoming mainstream and 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 uh, becoming a, a vertical in itself. So, so these kind of trends that uh, that you see evolving from zero, and 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 they start as fringe. And you know people don't believe them, and they say that this is nothing, and and it's it's not going to influence the world. Sometimes these things become huge. Like they definitely, I agree everything, and I agree with the kind of computers and cannabis and everything. The problem is the timing. So like in, in the electrical cars, we had Agassi in Israel trying to implement, and he did the education, and Tesla will take the reward. You know, Steve Jobs got the. You know, windows from Bill Gates and he got the reward. And each time we had these stories, you know, about education. So the thing is, as a VC, and this is what you're doing also successfully, is trying to go on it when it's after the education of the market, but still a trend that's booming. So, you know, Bitcoin, if you take it, for example, there was like investing in 2008 and investing today is a totally different thing. And they're both right. Right. So how do you differentiate that it's like something that's evolving business-wise and not as a concept? Yeah. So take Bitcoin as an example here. Um, of course, if, if um, you know, if someone is was a friend of Satoshi and invested in Bitcoin, you know, when 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 one Bitcoin, you needed maybe like 20 Bitcoin to buy a pizza or something uh, and, and you kept these Bitcoins for for for, for 10 years you're probably um, you know, worth $100 million now or something like that, right? If you were one of those early miners. But I think there's not too many people like this and, and, and trends uh, gain momentum. So I think it's good enough. You, know, you don't have to be the first or among the, the small minority of, of fringe pioneers, but if you, you adopt the technology early enough, that's good enough to benefit from. So I'm, I'm just giving an example here. If you invested into Bitcoin, in 2015 or 2016, which many people have, uh, you know, you're way ahead with your investment, probably 10x or 20x over your investment now. So you didn't have to be, you know, one of these um, weird people who, who started with uh, started this in 2009. You could have heard 
about it in the news in 2015 and and thought and, and you know said to yourself yeah this is this is this is interesting i'm going to do this um and i think it's the same for every technology so um I think you have to be early. You don't have to be first. You, you, you know, you just have to be early enough. That's the hardest thing. I think like as a VC, this is something that always, uh, like I wanted to understand you're managing so many investors. Okay. So you're wrong till you're right. So you invested, let's say like you did things like that and you have new portfolio, things like that. So you invested in a few things and you're always wrong, 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 wrong for so long till you're right. How do you manage that? Like, because they were looking for ROI and you're in front of the entrepreneur, you have to help them on one side and you have to give ROI back. So how do you manage that? So first of all, um, I'm not a VC, you know, I invest my own capital. Um, I, I don't, I don't manage uh, other people's capital. So I'm not um, boxed into this seven, seven year cycles of VCs. You know, VCs have usually a seven year time horizon and they have to, enter their positions and, 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 and basically sell them or exit after seven years. Uh, and, and, uh, you know, I don't have, because I'm, you know, I'm managing my own capital, doing this on a permanent capital. But you still have to believe uh, yourself. How do you explain it to yourself? The more I'm doing this, the more modest I become. And, and, and I am, and, uh, I'm not doing a, a ton of investments, uh, you know, to be honest, I'm, I get a huge deal flow. I get approached by many um, entrepreneurs and founders. Uh, and, you know, it's, it's all about the selection process. Uh, it's all about reviewing a lot of companies before making a decision. Um, and I think what I'm looking for uh, when I do early stage or pre-seed or seed is those those outcomes that, you know, one in a thousand outcome, you know, you know, if, if I, if I give you an example from, from poker, right. So, so I'm trying to, to, to go for, um, for a straight flush or something like that, which is very uncommon and probably I'm not going to get that, but if I do, then, you know, I, I might hit a hundred X or 500 or X returns. So, and and Leon yeah. talking about that, like, and success rates, uh, you had a very successful exit was this your first company or did you fail before? No, this was, um, no, this was actually my second company and um, it was acquired by Iron Source um, a few years ago. No, I didn't have that um, failure yet, uh, but I did, I, uh, what I did have is, is many startups that I went into as an investor who, who, who didn't make it. So I, I've had at least five or six companies, probably more that, um, uh, I, I came in as an investor and and have failed. So I've seen I've seen failures, many failures actually as an investor. So you were saying that the company that you sold to Iron Source that was the second comp- startup that you started. Right. What happened yeah. with the first? The first one was actually a one man show company. Uh, it was an online. Mar- I, I said I started uh, my career with online marketing. It was a one man show company in in online marketing. It was running um, search engine, um, pay per click. Uh, ads uh, uh, and I used to do that even before there was Google AdWords. There were other search engines who were who were uh, doing pay per click before Google even existed. So that's a you know that's 15 years ago, um, and not too many people did that. And there were no agencies, or well, there were agencies, but not that many. And the market was so uh, you know 
so much less competitive than what it is today in terms of the bidding in, in, in you know, Google AdWords or Facebook ads are so mainstream today, you know, everything, everyone goes and everyone advertises in those platforms. But go 10 years ago, 15 years ago, it was uh, an innovation. People were, were advertising on the yellow pages and in newspapers uh, and, and no one even knew what uh, uh, Google ad was. Um, uh, and and that, was the, that was the time to do it um, because the, the margins, the profit margins uh, on, on online advertising back then. That How did you find company. customers? Um, you know, I started with affiliate, uh, affiliate programs um, and I was uh, selling mostly online software. All you had to do is, is um, sign up to, to certain platforms who are aggregating uh, software companies and, and providing their reseller or affiliate uh, technology and basically use the links and advertise those links. I'm, I'm, I'm oversimplifying this, of course, now, uh, but, but that's, that's how it was. Um, and um, by the way, it's still, it, 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 this industry is still there. It's, 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 even bigger, um, it's even bigger than what it was back then, but, but the margins, the profit margins are smaller. Yeah, and, and by the way, why did you love it? Did you like it because it was self-reliant? Like you're making money out of something virtually or because you can just get out of something and affiliate and, and get it? Like what excited you about it that, that caught you? So back then, it, um, you know, it was one of those businesses that you can, you can start on your own as, as, a, as a freelancer or one-man one man show um, and, and being self-reliant. And you can reach a scale and grow this business at rates that you couldn't in the real, in, in, in a brick and mortar world. Right. So, so you, you, I mean, to have these kind of revenues or turnover, you, you probably had to have, you know, 50 stores, like a franchise of 50 shops or stores or whatever to, to, to make these revenues, which you could make over Google or, or these other search engines. So why did you um, stop? So the margins actually started to decline a while back, uh, about at least 10, 10 years ago. And, and that's where I, I came with this idea that I should do something that uh, will endure for a few more years at least. And, and that was the, the start of After Download, the company that Ironsource bought. I, I saw the margins decreasing year after year and policy and, and Google policy becoming more difficult to handle uh, every year. And I, and, and I thought that it's probably better to launch a company that is not reliant on, on these, uh, these giants. And that was the start of After Download. Did you have co-founders or was this still solo? No, 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 no. Uh, we, had, we were a team of three. Uh, there were three of us co-founders. Uh, and we didn't have too many investors, actually, uh, we only had two investors. We didn't invest a lot of money. It was mostly a bootstrap company. Uh, it grew quite fast. I think we went break even in about six months or so. And then, you know, the rest is history and the company um, it grew um, you know, at, a, at a very, very fast rate until... What was special about the team? What was special about the team? Um, well, I, I don't want to, you know, give too many compliments to, to myself, uh, but I probably can give some compliments to my co-founders, which were exceptional. Uh, I think we were a good team together and, we, and, and the hiring process was, was, was pretty good. So um, the entire team, uh, or at least the core team, 
uh, it was like a, like a family, you know, I, everyone was like handpicked and, and, and I think the results prove that it's not, it's not, it's never easy to, to do this, uh, to, to scale a company from, you know, three founders. I think we went all the way to 50 uh, before we were acquired. And in these days, Iron Source, you know, they, they managed to do this and take this to the next level. I think there are about a thousand people now. So, you know, growing and, and, and scaling company, it's always a challenge and it, it's, it's a different sort of challenge. Um, you know, scaling a, a tiny team to a, to a medium-sized company. It's a different challenge altogether, scaling a medium company, you know, to international conglomerate or something like that. Yeah. Was it scary scaling it? No, I don't think so. No, no. I, I think, uh, you know, I was uh, in charge of cash flow and, and, and finance. As well so as you strategy. did a great job. I know the cash flow is there. That's, that's a hard job, man. Yeah, thank you. I think you're probably very good at mitigating risks because you put yourself in very high stakes situations. But it sounds like during the entire journey from what we're hearing, even though there were very high stakes situations, somehow the risk and the down the downside wasn't high. It sort of contradicts, but still. I think you're right on, on, on the ball here, uh, Noah. I think uh, you, you, you got it. Um, it's true that mitigating risk is, is um, you know, you want your upside to be unlimited, but you want to protect your downside just the way you, you said it. And it's, uh, I always, uh, uh, you know, in my entire career, uh, I try to do this. So in the, you know, in the last few years, uh, my, my, my strategy was you know, not to be entirely exposed to startups and tech, but to, um, you know, to uh, diversify into other asset classes such as real estate and, um, and you know, more of the stock market. So you, you want to be um, in a position that, um, you know, you don't, you, you don't have like a single point of failure that can collapse the entire building, um, especially as, as you, um, you know, time passes and you accumulate some successes. You want to mitigate the risk of losing everything. You don't want been in in such a scenario so it's a little bit like buying insurance so you sacrifice a little bit from the upside just to protect the downside and i think uh, it's risk tolerance in general uh, is is different between people you know people manage risk in different ways yeah i don't consider myself a risk taker although in other people's eyes i might look at uh, as one i'm trying to maximize um, the outcomes um, from from uh, particular situations while protecting the downside um you know it's i think warren buffett said, said it you know the, the first rule of business is is not to lose money and the second rule of business is not to forget rule number one <laughs> so yeah you don't want to lose too much i mean obviously you can lose a little uh, but you don't want to lose too much you sound to me really good at thinking about different scenarios and fallbacks because like strategically also in this conversation you're you're very calm and it sounds like in every everything that you told, which is really impressive, you're saying it with humility, you always had kind of a thing that you, you, you think other people perceive you as risk, but you always had this fallback or plan or something. Like, like you took the poker thing of the Royal Flush, but at the same thing, you, you gave the example of how not building on the Royal Flush and hedging the Bitcoin. So it sounds to me like one of your big skill sets is like not only mitigating risk, but just planning out like, 
if it would happen or not happen. If it doesn't happen, I have a plan. You're like the plan guy. Well, it's, it's yes, uh, you, you, you can look at it in such a way or yes, uh, it's not just fallback plans, but it's actually, you know, spreading, spreading your risk over uh, various um, uncorrelated sources of income. How do you do that? Uncorrelated sources. How do you do that? Like what's a lot? How do you, how do you learn that skill? Well, it's it's not something that that I don't think that you learn it in 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 a, in a, you know in university or in a no. But you found college. out you have it. How did you it's, find it's out? Not, well, it's it's something that I think you, you can pick this up from from books. Um, you know, there's there's good books on this. I would say it's probably also a matter of personality. You know, some people are are high rollers. I I've met more than once people who have you know, made a million dollars or more, whatever, and then lost everything and then started from scratch. Uh, I, I've met these kind of people who, who, who can tolerate that. And, then, and, and there's also other people who are more confident in more stable situations. They want to, to, to earn their, um, you know, they, all they want is, is their um, salary, um, you know, to increase by five or 10% every year. And, and, they, and that's enough for them. So, so that's like the, these two extremes. And, and every, you know, every person is, is somewhere on this, um, you know, uh, um, on, on this line, you know, from 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 uh, from, from one extreme to the other. Uh, I would say I'm I'm probably more to the riskier side than than the average person, but I'm not a total risk taker. I always, you know, I want to play it safe because I think if you lose a thousand dollars or or hundred thousand dollars for 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 this. Um, it's probably more painful that if you, um, you know, if you if you make a thousand or hundred thousand dollars, you know that the, the the pain of losing is more than than the the, the enjoyment or, 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 or of 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 winning. Yeah. So I think that really think, talks about that. I, I think you know that that's been proven over and over again by by people like Kahneman and Tversky, uh, who, who um, you know these uh, researchers and and Dan Ariely and, and these guys have proven that. Many times that you know you want to avoid um, losses because losses are painful, uh, and and if you can avoid losses while you know you sacrifice a little bit of the upside, that's okay. What advice do you have for entrepreneurs? Um, I always like founders, entrepreneurs that try to solve a problem that they have personally, right? So I you don't I I I, I don't like people. Well, don't like don't like it. It's probably not the right way of saying that. But you know, trying to solve the um, uh, transportation problems in Sweden, right? I mean, probably that. Uh, yeah, this is not something that is you're not you're not facing as someone that lives in Tel Aviv. You, you're, you're probably not. This is not a dilemma that that you kind of face personally uh, on, on a day to day level. So, so I like founders who are trying to solve a problem that they they have personally, or it can be in their family, right? They're facing some kind of a challenge. They don't find a solution. They don't find a product that's solving this. And they say, okay, I'm going to find a way to make this problem go away for myself. What usually happens later is as soon as they do that and find a solution, they find out that there is a product market fit. They're not the only ones with this kind of a problem. There's more people on the planet who are facing the same problem and if they found a good solution, and I think, you know, I can give you an example for this, you know, Monday.com, it's, it's this, you know, unicorn that's worth now, I don't know, two, three billion dollars, whatever. Uh, they started as, as uh, some kind of a small startup within Wix, I think. Uh, they were called, uh, their name was The Pulse, I think. And, you know, they started this project management tool 
just for uh, internal, I think it was internal Wix use. And, and then it, it, it was a spin-off and it became uh, an independent company. And that was even before COVID. And then all of a sudden it, it looked like, you know, the, the entire world needs some kind of an online collaboration tool to, to you know, make teams work together um, um, online and, and, and the market is huge. But when they first started this, all they wanted is to, to solve this little problem of how to make remote teams within the company uh, work together uh, on, on projects. So, so they solved this for themselves and they, just to discover that the market is, is basically infinite. Yeah, we get this a lot and I think it's superb advice. Uh, I'm not going to let you off the hook without telling us what your superpower is. My superpower? Yes. I don't know. Um, I guess I, I would say that I rely a lot of, uh, on my intuition. I'm also, I, I am a little bit of an analytic, analytical person and I do analyze, um, you know, but eventually like decision-making is something that comes from the inside. So I rely a lot about intuition and, and you know, how, how it feels like gut feeling, basically. It's not that this is like, I can't prove that I'm better in, in this than anyone else, but, you know, I, I still probably makes me feel good. Uh, and, you know, and the outcomes um, so far so good. So I, I, you know, I rely more and more on this. Um, and uh, as time, um, you know, goes by and, and I make, you know, I'm in the middle of my career now, I tend to see that the times that I didn't trust it and, you know, I, and I did some kind of a deal anyway, but I had this feeling inside that something is wrong. You know, it was a, it was a red flag. I, I should have, I should have listened to, to this kind of internal voice intuition and, 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 you know, walk away from the deal. I'm sorry. I have to help you out because I think your superpower is, is lying in exactly what you explained the superpower and your fault is because I think approachability is really strong because I think that you're very trustworthy and I think you're approachable, meaning I would, I would advise people and this, I'm not saying also because I know your track record, but if you're their investor, it's someone who is a confidant and will help you in a simplified and not, and in, and with humility, which is hard to find. And I'm, I'm sure that's the reason that a lot of people work with, and it's using also your intuition and in saying that sometimes you have mistakes, which is, uh, which, which is very rare, rare, rare and respected for someone who has those wins behind you. And uh, well, this makes me understand why people want to work with you. And if people have a yes. unicorn on their hands, how can they find you to pitch you? Right. So it's very easy. Um, they can uh, look, look me up on, on Google, you know, just look for Liron Rose, uh, L-I-R-O-N-R-O-S-E. Uh, you can find my, I have a website, landing page, or they can find me on LinkedIn or Facebook, you know, just Google the name. And it has, uh, yeah, you can find uh, either an email or, or send me an email or just approach me uh, over LinkedIn. And I'm usually very reachable. Superb. Thank you so much for giving us uh, the time, your time and uh, for speaking with us. Happy to do this. Thank you for inviting me. Had a pleasure. Awesome. And lots of luck with your next unicorn. We believe in you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Real life. Superpowers. Superpowers.